I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Federal regulators, in a series of random audits, as well as in their investigations of health data breaches, time and time again find that healthcare covered entities and business associates fail to conduct timely, thorough, enterprise wide HIPAA security risk analysis. Why does that keep happening? Today, I'm speaking with Roger Severino former and longest serving director of the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, who is now a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. And we're joined by Bob Chaput, who is founder and executive chairman of privacy and security consulting firm Clearwater. Roger and Bob will be speaking to me about some of the most significant security risk challenges facing the healthcare sector. So Roger, based on your time at the agency, what were the biggest challenges that you saw in terms of covered entities and business associates effectively safeguarding protected health information and managing their security risk? The biggest problem was a human one, and it really came down to bureaucratic inertia. So many covered entities just did not prioritize health information privacy as part of their culture. And it all stems from that, starting from the top down to the bottom. If you don't actually have it as part of your ethos, if you don't see it as part of helping serve your patients and your clients, then you're not going to take it as seriously as you should. And it really starts from the top and it, it comes on down. We've seen in the last four years when I was there, so many big breaches and big violations that could have been prevented. Many people were harmed by these mega breaches. And one of the lessons to be learned is if you start by at the beginning, making sure you do the proper analysis by taking the HIPAA rule seriously, you're going to avoid many of the downstream bad effects. And Bob, when you're working with your healthcare clients, where do you see them struggling the most with risk analysis and risk management? That's a great question. It's um, and specific to risk analysis and risk management, as we discussed in a recent live web event, the uh, struggles are somewhat of a head shaker strategically. The understanding of one's unique risks is undervalued and underappreciated. It's a bit of a shoot, ready, aim phenomena. That is, I see money spewing out of organizations for shiny new security objects without regard to the organization's unique prioritized risks. And this usually happens when organizations adopt a control checklist kind of approach rather than a risk-based approach. So if that's strategic, operationally, organizations struggle because they're trying to do this with pencil, paper, spreadsheets, and considering the combinations of assets, threats, and vulnerabilities that need to be considered, it's literally impossible to do everything that's required without using proven risk analysis and risk management software. How do you think these weaknesses play into what we're seeing in terms of so many healthcare sector entities being hit with ransomware and falling victim to other cyber attacks that result in PHI breaches? Roger? Well, when I enforced the HIPAA rules, we started with the major breaches and the major violations and then worked backwards to find out, okay, what could have been done to prevent this? Were there steps that were reasonable and appropriate for this entity that would have prevented this. And for every single enforcement action we took, the answer was a resounding yes. In an overwhelming majority of the cases, it was failure to do a proper risk analysis and risk assessment, and all the problems flowed from there. If you rewind the clock and you say, okay, what you could have done and should have done was X, Y, and Z, it starts with an enterprise-wide 
risk assessment, which means you take an inventory of where your protected health information resides, whether it be physical on paper, whether it be electronically, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's on a server, and then you find out what are the vulnerabilities and the risks, and there, thereby you get the full threat picture. And it's not just making the assessment, it's then making the implementation. And that's where the risk management comes in. And finally, once you've done all of those things, it must be a continuous process. It never ends because the threats are always evolving and they're ever present. Marianne, I would add, and, and uh, complimenting something Roger said, uh, the weaknesses are due in no small part to healthcare playing technology catch up. And some of that goes back to the $33 billion electronic health record implementation blitz, if you will, uh, precipitated by the incentive program. It caused a lot of organizations to accrue what I've dubbed enterprise cyber risk management debt. That is, uh, it was damn the torpedoes, throw caution to the wind, implement all of these new technologies without regard to the privacy and security related issues. Few organizations paid as much attention to it, and that led to the weaknesses that we just talked about. And what we're facing right now, going back to 2007 to what was it, 2018, we went from 9% of the uh, hospitals in the US having electronic health record system up to 96%. The data growth rate in healthcare is like 900% a year. <laughs> it's enormous. So we've got to figure out a way to address these weaknesses, especially as we adopt new technologies like quantum computing, edge computing, blockchain, you name it. We really need to work hard to get our hands around these issues. So now, Roger, during your time at OCR, were there any notable areas that you actually saw the healthcare sector as a whole make noticeable improvements in terms of their overall HIPAA, security, privacy, breach notification, compliance, or their overall security posture? Any improvements, any signs of hope? Yes, there certainly were some bright spots. And we did a lot of enforcement on the encryption standards for laptops and data at rest. So many cases early on in my tenure were folks who had laptops being stolen out of their trunks or being lost in a taxi cab. And the problem with that is if the data is not fully encrypted, then it's pretty much out in the wild. But if you did follow the standards, one of the addressable requirements was NIST level encryption of your data, then you could rest assured that if it falls in the wrong hands, that data is going to be safe. And we found that after our enforcement efforts, there was significant compliance. And many of the breach reports, uh, the, the number of breach reports that dealt with stolen laptops, et cetera, dropped significantly. And then we shifted our enforcement efforts to other areas. I would um, add, if I may, I think about noticeable improvements, and I'm most hopeful about the, the number and, and the quality of the people that are moving into privacy, security, compliance, or risk management. Thousands of hardworking individuals. They're not all there yet, but I think they're working hard and making progress, garnering the attention of the C-suite and the board. That's one trend that I think is optimistic and hopeful. The second trend that gives me some optimism is the fact that we're seeing a widespread adoption of the NIST cybersecurity framework and attendant with that uh, various other guidance and standards that NIST has uh, put forth. Uh, so I'm excited about this widespread adoption of an open, non-proprietary industry standard consistent approach. I think it's going to greatly facilitate communication around risk management internally 
between healthcare organizations and across the whole healthcare supply chain. As you know full well, we've experienced a lot of supply chain issues that have created upstream issues for uh, our large uh, integrated delivery networks and health systems. And Roger, just as you were leaving HHS, the department issued proposed rulemaking changes for the HIPAA privacy rule, and then also a federal court of appeals vacated a $4.3 million civil monetary penalty that the agency levied against a Texas cancer center. And that ruling kind of called into question how OCR sets its monetary penalties. With all that said, and with all the other challenges that we just discussed involving the security posture of the healthcare sector, any advice or suggestions that you'd offer to Lisa Pino, who is the new director of HHS OCR? My recommendation would be to finalize a rule with taking the comments into account. There were some very important regulatory reforms that was part of a broader effort to modernize our healthcare delivery system and cut the red tape and limit the ability of the rules to impede the relationship between the doctor and patient while still respecting patient privacy. So I really am hopeful that they will finalize the rule in large measure as proposed. And you mentioned what happened with the penalty tiers and how we were doing it on enforcement. In the particular case you mentioned, we, before the case was decided, had conceded that in fact, the penalty tiers should be interpreted such that there is a a greater disparity between the highest level and the mid-level because the prior practice was treating the monetary cap the same of 1.5 million for the reasonable cause, mid-tier, and the willful neglect, highest tier. And we said the better reading of the law is in fact a $100,000 cap for reasonable cause violations and 1.5 million annually for the willful neglect. And that was part of that decision. It's interesting that they wanted to continue to litigate it, even though we said they didn't want to take yes for an answer. But there are other issues involved in that case as well. But it is important to know that the the standard now does recognize and gives more credit, so to speak, for those who take those steps to, to try to comply and they're not treated as culpable as willful neglect. Related to that, there's also a safe harbor that was signed into law in January that basically instructs OCR to sort of assess whether or not a healthcare entity that had a breach had adopted so-called recognized security standards, NIST or others. How do you think that might play into enforcement moving forward? It's a balance. There, There are recognized standards, and then there is the legal requirement of reasonable and appropriate. Recognized standards get you a long way, but it is something that is flexible. And Some standards will apply to, say, larger entities that may not apply to smaller entities. And if you do take certain steps that are recognized, then that will, generally speaking, put you on better footing. But whether or not a particular standard is required for a particular entity is an individualized question. And we can't be complacent. If we simply adopted a standard, that does not mean that the work is done. There is ever-evolving threats. There has to be constant monitoring and adaptation to the nature of the threat. And over-reliance on standards could actually be counterproductive when it's a dynamic environment. 
And Bob? I guess I'd hasten to point out that the the words safe harbor appear nowhere in H.R. 7898. I I think it's important for us to turn to baseline uh, guidance and standards. There were only two that were cited in that law. And uh, first was in this cybersecurity framework. And the second were those work products that are coming out of the so-called 405D group, which is active in that regard. So yes, those are important, but I think it's just a mistake for organizations to think that it is a true safe harbor provision. And any last predictions, Roger and Bob, about sort of the months ahead as the healthcare sector continues to deal with ransomware attacks and the COVID pandemic, any warnings that you would give healthcare sector entities and their business associates right now? Things are moving towards health apps. And it's really for the sake of consumers that consumers be aware that not every health app is governed by the HIPAA rules. But if you are a covered entity that does create their own app, then you are governed by the HIPAA rules. And if you outsource it to a third party, then make sure that they have a proper business associate agreement in place. So the obligation always resides with the covered entity wherever they hand out that information. So they have to make sure that they do take all the necessary steps. We also don't want to make sure that these entities are put at, at such a competitive disadvantage with other help app developers. Again, HIPAA is ultimately for the consumer not for the rule makers. And the more we keep that in mind, we'll have the proper balance of making sure people's health information privacy is protected while these new apps and new developments continue to flourish because the paper and pencil days hopefully will be behind us someday and the app ecosystem growing around it will be a positive development if balanced correctly. Yeah, I guess from a prediction point of view, I I wish I could make a a nicer prediction than the one I'm about to make. But I don't think we're far away from the first cyber-driven medical malpractice lawsuit. At the end of the day, this is all about assuring confidentiality, integrity, and availability of all of this data, which is increasingly significantly going online. And uh, while I don't think we've ever had a situation where someone died as a result of a violation of the confidentiality of their information, if someone changes my blood type the night before I'm scheduled for surgery and I need a transfusion, that's problematic. If uh, as a result of a ransomware attack, I am diverted from uh, my primary uh, nearby uh, emergency room to one 20 miles away, that could be problematic as well. So I believe there's going to be a cyber-driven medical malpractice lawsuit in the future. And I hope it helps to elevate the concept or the notion that enterprise cyber risk management is really a patient safety issue. And, and by the way, a potentially a personal liability issue for C-suite and board members. Thank you, Bob and Roger. I've been speaking to Roger Severino and Bob Chaput. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.